Abba Yahweh, <clears throat> again, the opportunity to be in your word, to share your word in direction of your teaching. Thank you, Father. Abba Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Parakritos, Aman. So, um, some things I'm going to share with you that are, uh, Holy Spirit has been developing and bringing and the first thing I'm going to share is about the sound of silence. Have any of you actually heard the song Simon Garfunkel first? Uh, and you young folks, you're a uh, you're not going to know, or you may know, but generally, pardon me, um, you won't know who that is. Um, when I was a younger person, wow, I have, oh boy, this is really dating me, because I remember the songs that they first released, and... Wow. Um, goodness gracious, that makes me a really old guy. I am a really old guy. So uh, probably one of the most um, influential, powerful songs and the one ten, people tend to remember. Uh, they have several, but probably the most profound and the most memorable for older people is a song called The Sound of Silence. And this was released in 1964, actually. And they were, if you see pictures of these two back then, they're, they're really, really young. Um, very young. But I'm bringing that up because that song, The Sound of Silence, and that posting that was shared with me, and I really, really, really like it a lot. And it's actually very true, especially to the God speaking to us. And I've shared it. I think I shared it earlier. I'll share it again with you. Um, pardon me here for just a moment because I have to go back and dig it up yet again. Um, take a moment, please, if you will, give me a, a rest. Um, oh, goodness, now I can't seem to find it. I apologize. For, oh, here we go. Silence isn't empty. It's full of answers. I share that with you and I share it again with you because of my study and classroom study and, and uh, the memory that I have of the Yosemite Valley. Um, some of you youngsters may not remember this saying. Um, but 
but uh, I want to make sure I get it right. I'm old, so I forget stuff. And it's it's shared in a couple different ways. Um, the roar of the silence was deafening. And you'll ask, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, what that means is that all the hubbub and the noise and all that uh, that's going on, and I've actually experienced this before in the midst of a city, which is, it was so deafening that I actually had to stop and look around to see what was going on there was nothing going on. It was just got quiet. Honking, blaring, loud noise, whistles, things that were going on. You could hear steam uh, steam whistles that were going on in construction sites. They'd pull the cord to get everybody off the site and you'd hear the steam whistle going. Those are pretty loud. And you'd hear jets flying over and different things were going on. Just the hustle bustle. And then I can't even remember, this is many years ago, so I can't quite remember the circumstance. I think I went around a turn and ended up in a part of city and everything was actually, the buildings blocked out everything. But the sound of the silence was deafening. I had to stop, pause, and look around to see what was going on. Why did it suddenly get so quiet? Sometimes this is the nature of God's communication. And there's some verses in this song that Simon Garfunkel put out. And it's very interesting because it's actually fairly scriptural. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains while the sound, within the sound of silence. And it, a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. How often do visions occur and when do they occur? If you look in the scripture, 95, 98% of visions are delivered to the prophets while they're asleep. Occasionally while prophets are, and I would, it doesn't say clearly in the scriptures, but um, I think they might have been slumbering, which is not a total sleep. They're just kind of resting, sort of half sleeping, kind of nappy. And decorations are made like uh, John on the island of Patmos was taken by the angel, the vision that he saw. And Ezekiel, when he was taken by the Spirit to the Valley of Dry Bones and other prophecies he made when he was set above on the mount to prophesy to the nation of Israel about the shepherds and their lies and their deceptions and the hirelings.
But in Simon Garfunkel's song, in, in Restless Dreams, I Walked Alone. So he was having a vision. The vision was being played out in his mind while he was asleep. And all these different things he saw in the vision while napping, sleeping. Talking about the songs, but nobody dared to disturb the sound of silence. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. So in this vision that Simon Garfunkel wrote this, co-wrote this song about, they're hearing a lot of things in silence, hearing a lot of things in silence. And this item that I shared with you, that silence or in quiet, and sometimes God talks to us in that silence. I heard so much while I was in the middle of winter in the Yosemite Valley. Did not hear the traffic, did not hear the horns honking, didn't hear the, and you know how sometimes when you're in a crowded place, you can hear all the conversations going at one time. But you can't understand what anybody's saying because it's all just um, noise. Empty, fruitless noise from your perspective. But standing out in the middle of that snow-covered field at nighttime, full moon, partially shining through the clouds, the beauty of it, and looking around and realizing that God is out there with me. Speaking to me in the profound silence, my son, I did this for you. In the sunrise, my son, I did this for you. And the sunsets, many of them. And, and sometimes when I was uh, still a commercial operator for the mass transit, there was one place in particular I used to like, I would pull over, there's a bus stop there. So I would pull over, nobody's there. And nobody was getting off, but nobody questioned it either because I was en route and I was on time. And there was no great difficulty. It was safe and it wasn't dangerous. I always did that, but I'd pull over there. And I'd pull the brake on and I'd just sit back in the chair. I'd lean back and I'd look out that nice great big glass on the front of the bus and I'd see that sky and the sunset was going down and the clouds were painted so beautifully. The textures that God applied. And colors, sometimes I was there, colors that I'd never ever seen and a sunset or a sunrise before. 
and I would tell him how beautiful it was. And sometimes I would hear him ask me, do you like it? My response was always yes. It was beautiful. Now my response for those that say that, well, that sounds kind of wackadoodle because God doesn't do that. Well, whose lies are you believing? That's my heavenly father. When he does something for me, he likes to know that I'm appreciative. And I let him know that I'm appreciative. Intimacy is a thing that God desires. And I, I love this, this sharing. And we are told something as disciples. And when we go through the scriptures and the Bible tells us this, and there were... There were issues that were going on. What was what were some of the issues? Well, Peter was running off at the mouth and declaring that, oh, we should build an altar. We got Esaias and Moses are here, and, and uh, Lord, we saw that, and we should build an altar for you, and then ba da 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 And then the voice came out of the clouds. You can find this in Matthew 17, 5. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Pretty simple. But intimacy can only exist when there is the intentional commitment on both sides for the exploration of relationship, not simply being together in one another's presence, which is intimate, but choosing to open yourself up to God. He searches, he wants to be in a personal relationship with you. So do you choose to allow that? Because you can disallow it. You cannot allow, God is very polite. He's not gonna force himself someplace that he's not wanted. In spite of the lies that you may have heard. And God declares this, I made you for intimacy. I long to know you for you to open yourself up and share yourself with me and be known by you. God desires an intimate, personal relationship with us. And this is what I've shared with you before, that there is a huge, profound difference between knowing about the Lord and the God, knowing something of what might be my relationship with God. And then that word that I shared with you the other day, experiential, means something that you've experienced. You've experienced it with him. You have that knowledge because it was a personal relationship that you have with God. We have to remember that in listening 
we can be, if we listen in silence and we listen to what he's saying, does it draw us to Jesus? And the words are never going to violate Scripture. It, it aligns with Scripture. If you're, if you're hearing something or you think it, the way you do it, test it. Try the Spirit. Remember, I've shared this with you time and time and time again. Try the Spirit. If it aligns with Scripture, it doesn't teach contrary, and it's not a lie, and you can test that out, then the very high probability is that it is the Holy Spirit is talking to you and the Lord is talking to you. If it does not do that, if it doesn't align with Scripture, and it's like, God will never do that, okay? God is not going to tell you anything that's contrary to what he tells you in the Bible. And when he talks to you, it's going to reflect his character, the character of the Spirit, which is joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentle gentleness, loving. And you can find a list of those things in Galatians 5.22, actually. It shares that with us. We're given, a, we're given a rundown list to think on all those things. And if you're sitting in your quiet time and you're men meditating on God, you're trying to focus on God, and those are the things that you're thinking about, and you're hearing a response that comes back and it reinforces all of those good things. God's talking. And when he talks to you, he's also going to reaffirm the Holy Spirit as our helper, our comfort, teacher, guide, strengthener, the revealer of truth, delivers the gifts that God has for us. And everything that comes from God is all positive. And remember, as we see in 1 Corinthians 14.33, it talks about confusion. Well, where does that come from? It comes from one place and one place only. And it comes from the liar, that's one thing that Satan was called, the liar. And in, um, pardon me, I'm looking up a scripture here right quick. Forgive me for my keeping you on delay. But if we go through 1 Corinthians 14 and 33, doesn't create confusion. Uh, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God does not author confusion, lies, deception. This is why it's important that 
although worshiping in the spirit outwardly is not wrong when there's some people that can confuse if they can overhear it. <clears throat> but that doesn't diminish the fact that I'm going to continue doing it anyway. Um, but you don't confuse by screaming it out so the whole church can hear it because in deliverance of a gift that has to do with the heavenly language, there will be someone to translate and there will be a translation so people can understand it. It may be a more direct message to a specific person. But it's not going to be done in such a way that it confuses the church body. I've shared with you before that in my worshiping, and I do that, and that there are people that recognize some of the things that I say. Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and someone from the Middle East somewhere in the congregation said that they could hear some of the words that I was saying, and it was from where they're from. I can't remember where they said they were from. Sorry about that. I'll find out. But they recognize it. And I wasn't doing it to them, but they, they could hear me. I mean, where I was, they were very close to me, but I wasn't doing it to be obnoxious or loud. I was just worshiping God and praying that way. The other thing that the Spirit and God, when he talks to us, he's never going to bring condemnation to you. He never does that to his children. We find that in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there now is no condemnation to them that love the Lord. And remember this and keep this in mind. This is very important. God is never too busy or preoccupied to spend time with you. If you take the time and you sacrifice your time to devote to him and share with him, he will take the time to align with that and be with you. He will, he will, he will. And the more that we know the Bible, and we, this is why we study to show ourselves approved, and this is part of what he's talking about, is that you stay in the Bible so that you know it, so that when the Holy Spirit comes and it talks to you, and you're, sometimes you're sitting in a quiet time, and the Holy Spirit is talking to you, you're going to know and recognize, because you know that that's scriptural. You know that comes from the Word of God, and you know it's not a lie, because Satan is a liar, and Satan is not going to utilize that. But remember this also, Satan and the demons, they know scripture. They used to live in heaven. And when Satan came and tried to unjustify Jesus when he came and by the spirit to the wilderness, and he tried to test him, he was using scripture. Three times he tried to use scripture against Jesus. And Jesus three times parried the sword with his and truth come back. And then finally Satan ran off. And it's important to know. And understand this as well too. So you have to understand that when God speaks to us in the spirit, 
And sometimes that translates into thought. That you can conceive in your mind. God also communicates in pictures. Maybe you're driving down and you see a billboard that you never noticed before. For some reason, you just never noticed it. And then you look up and there's a sentence right smack in the middle of this billboard that you never paid attention to before. And on this day, on at this time, you look up, you're drawn to this and you look right at it and it is a scripture perhaps or just a sentence that's related to a question that you've been asking God. Or perhaps he just brings an image to your mind. Jesus used to speak in parables and stories, and part of that was to create a verbal image. And I, I've done this and tried to share before, and I've told you this before. It's to create a verbal image or a verbal picture. This is what, um, this is the use of analogies or metaphors, and Jesus used a lot of them. And he told a lot of parables. Where did he learn parabolic speech? Because the word was with God. The word was God. The word was in God, from God, from the beginning. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He was manifest into flesh and came to this plane of existence. But parabolic speech was something that was used often. If you go back to the Old Testament, you will see God speaking to his prophets and speaking to others in parabolic speech. So, of course, Jesus manifest as he was is going to use it. But I'm going to digress here for just a minute because I want to make sure that we have an understanding over here. And I'm going to go back over to this. Uh, remember, I used the two words, logos, arima, and it's, they're, they're from the Greek. And they're used, depending on what the context of the, uh, the, the, the word sentence or the paragraph, what the context of that is about, that is the definition of the word. And there are many words in Greek that are that way and the way it's done. But actually, logos and rema, and that is spelled R-H-E-M-A, rema, they're the same. It's not totally accurate to make the absolute rigid distinction between two Greek words that refer to the word. As I've shared with you, logos is the collection of the word, uh, the word of God, the Bible. Rema are specific scriptures and a specific word of God or from God. And there's a difference. It's a real difference and you have to understand this the written word of God the Bible which many understand rationally and and scriptures that are in the in the that the Holy Spirit highlights which impacts our hearts and what we feel so logos is the written word of God and rema are the specific words that the Holy Spirit will bring to enlightenment and when Jesus was having his little 
spiritual sword fight with Satan who thought that he was so smart and he was going to outsmart the word of God who was with God from the beginning, in God, from God, with God from the start. And of course, Satan, not being really as smart as he likes to think himself, he got beat up pretty badly and he left. And then the angels came and ministered to Jesus. And they came and took care of him and they brought him liquid refreshment and food. So Jesus didn't have to turn any stones into bread. He didn't have to do any of that. And all those, and when Satan took him up to the high pinnacle so he could look out and see everything, he didn't have to worry about that because he was already declared to be the only begotten son of God and God already put him over anything and everything. So Satan really wasn't offering anything that was there. But what God asks us to do, and this has to do with spiritual eyesight, is to open the eyes of our heart. And that's specifically written. Let me go find this scripture right quick. And some of these I'm, I'm not marking and apologize if it uh, takes a moment. But if we go to the book of Ephesians 1 and 18... I'll jump over there and right there. In Ephesians 1, 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Well, that's talking about your spiritual eyesight, which is in the open heart that you have presented willingly so that you can see the things that he intends to show you. And remember, there's a, an old saying from a long time ago. Some of you that are millennial age might not have ever heard it, might have heard it. And some of you that are my age and older may remember, may not remember. That's okay. But there is a phrase a picture is worth a thousand words. So if the Holy Spirit is trying to impress your thoughts and put an image or a picture, a vision, if you will, and that picture can express a thousand times more than what is spoken. So keep your spiritual eyes open. You know, I share this with you often. When you look around, you see things. You keep your spiritual eyesight open. And you have to look. Now, remember, I've shared that Rick and Diane Boucher, the authors, uh, co-authors of this book, Wholehearted, are really great. And, and she's writing in, uh, I'm going to share this brief from her. And she's talking about her experience and that each one of us, the Trinity is going to meet, and that's all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's going to meet our hearts in ways that are absolutely unique to each one of us. We have to remember that, the way that the Holy Spirit speaks to, God speaks to, Jesus speaks to me, is not going to be the same for you. You can't expect it to be that way, and you can't look for it to be that way because maybe you don't understand English. 
maybe I can't speak Filipino. And that is, that's what I shared in such a simplistic way. But in the more spiritual realm, he's just not going to do it because the message that he intends for me is not the same as intended for you. It's like what big pharma tries to do is, is and I've seen doctors that play this game before, they take a medication, they try to make it a blanket dosage for every person that they see that has a similar malady or a, simple, or a similar um, symptoms. But the physiological makeup for each person is different. So they can't prescribe the same medication for every person. You might have a really bad reaction. In the same tone or context to that, is that the Holy Spirit is not going to provide a message that was intended for me and give it to you simply because you've got a situation and I had a situation that he was able to clear up for me, but he did it different your situation is different. You have something totally different going on. Why is the Holy Spirit just going to tell you to do the same thing that he told me to do? He's not going to do that. Remember, God is not the author of confusion. There's only one where that comes from. And you have to remember that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Yahweh, Eshua, Paracletos, they are the same. This is the mystery. This is the triune spirit. This is something that the Holy Spirit will guide you into and help you understand. Back to this, that uh, Ms. Boucher was writing about. For each of us, the Trinity will meet our hearts in ways that are uniquely meaningful and helpful. For her, there were three pictures that were that anchored our identity more than anything anybody said could. And she's going to always, in one vision or one picture, she was two years old and has her very wonderful father. And the other, she's a bride, part of the church. And as the Spirit told her that she's never going to be a widow. And in the other, this was an image that she saw that she was with the Holy Spirit. She saw herself in coveralls. She had a hammer and she was getting ready to work. And the Holy Spirit and we are on the same mission. We are indeed. So what she was sharing is that the pictures that were in her mind, it, it, it changed. And she had some questions. And so she was talking to God and one image that came to her mind and she was a, a toddler. And that her father was holding her up and squeezing her in and speaking loving words to her. And he was kind of sort of doing that air dance thing that fathers do with their ch small children that are just toddlers. 
and he was dancing around and beautiful music was playing. But in her vision, she realized that the music was actually our heavenly father that was holding her and his swaying to the, and the music that she was heard was his swaying and turning and moving. She asked Jesus how he saw her. She was an absolutely beautiful bride and she was there with him. And he responded to her, said, you are always going to be a bride and never going to be a widow. When Jesus spoke to her and what she shared is that he spoke to that, that her first husband had actually passed away and died. He was a Vietnam veteran, Semper Fi. And Jesus knew that she had that fear and he promised her, you will never be a widow again. And then in speaking to the Holy Spirit, her vision changed and she saw herself in coveralls. She had a T-square and a hammer getting ready to build on stuff. You have to remember this too, is that we can talk and pray to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can do that. And he's going to talk to each and every one of us differently than he does to someone else. Those were her visions that she shared that she had. Could be something totally different to us. Something totally unique. He's not going to show us the same thing that he showed her. And you also have to know that as you mature in your walk and relationship with God, it's not going to look the same as it did before. And I'm going to share this with you right now. My walk with God is so different than what it used to be. I, I was honestly not even walking with God. So I am living what I call a consequential life because I walked away from a lot of things things that he gave to me, I gave up, foolishly gave up. I've shared with you before and I don't have any qualms about it, but I'm not, I'm not living in a world of sorrow and regret and oh, woe is me. I just know, matter of factly, perfectly well and honestly, that if I had been walking with God as I am now, that I would be married to my oldest son's mother we'd still be together. We'd be sharing time with our grandchildren. We'd be residing together. And because I was not walking with God in that manner, in the manner that I should have been, I walked away from that, that he gave me. What a foolish, foolish thing to do. Brothers and sisters, we have to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives. We must stay in step with him. The Holy Spirit guides us and leads us and I should have been. But the thing that's very beautiful is that she has such a powerful, forgiving heart. We have gone to a mentor um, that we both share. And the years have gone, I mean, these are years have gone by. I've been on my own for way too many years. To uh, That doesn't mean that God can't 
do something. It just means that I've been on my own and it's a consequential life I live. So I don't have any, oh, I should have done it this and I should have done it. Yeah, I should have, but I'm not going to be whiny crying about it. I did it wrong and I asked God to forgive me and he did. She's forgiven me. Very powerful in that. And her mother and father who are just such beautiful people. Oh, and her father now is in heaven. And I know that he's running around or walking with my father and they're sharing time together because they got on so well. And um, he's they're, they're exploring heaven together. And I love that. But anyway, so as you grow and develop that your relationship, your personal relationship with God is not going to look the same every day. It wasn't... It is much better than what it was. And this is why I know, see, the devil didn't come at me so hard before. He just kind of let me go on my own silly walk. And I did what he wanted me to do, not because he was trying to drive me or get me there, uh, simply because I did it. I was a fool. And now my walk with the Lord is much stronger and better than it ever was. And I want to go deeper and I want it to be yet closer. And I know that Satan, and that's probably why Satan is coming at me in the difficult situations and trying to bring that up for me now, even more so than what he was when I started this epic journey. But um, he's doing so now because I desire to be closer with God. So he's going to make it harder and harder and get me to try to believe his lies. But my desire and my my ambition is to connect with that heart of God. And there are many Christians and don't believe that, that they can experience conversation and connection with God through the day in the middle of their busyness. But you remember that his invitation and his truth is to that we make place for him. And then it becomes a natural, habitual thing to do, which I have made it in my life. God talks to us or communicates with us in many, 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 many different ways. If you're attentive and paying attention, um, in my reading and, and my my uh, homework, is, uh, they talk about a gentleman, Henri Nguyen, that in the discernment of God, that God oftentimes speaks through nature. This is this is what I've shared with you before. I love this because it's a confirmation word. I don't even know who this guy is. I don't know when he was alive. Henri Nguyen? Don't know. But I know that he writes this. And I shared with you before that it's not just a Christmas carol. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and heaven and nature sing. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Does that sound like an echo? Sound like an echo to me. Heaven and nature sing. The birds sing above. The thunderstorms. Lightning. Roaring of the waves. The falling of the timbrel waterfall. Wow. God speaks through nature. Through individuals we can encounter. Maybe through circumstances or you're reading a book and you see a paragraph that literally jumps off the page because, wow, I just asked God that question just moments ago or an hour ago or, or several days ago. 
wow, here's, he just, he sent me an answer. That is so powerful. And here's something that we have to remember. It's not for individuals that are sitting lotus and have their middle finger touching their thumb and they're humming and humming and humming, God, God, Abba Yahweh, God, God, Abba Yahweh, over and over and over again, because that's not meditative. That's, uh, that's kind of being silly. And those are not the only ones that are they're trying to be more contemplative for some reason in doing it that way and choosing that way, but that's not what it talks about when the Spirit tells us or the Word tells us that we should meditate on God. That just means to focus your thoughts. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and hum, hum mantras. And that doesn't mean that his, he's going to be more inclined Toward them. What it means is that God is as open to anyone, anyone, doesn't matter what your line of work is, but he's open to anyone. And one thing you have to understand is you can't force yourself to be quiet inwardly. And the more we try to do that, we find that it's very difficult. <clears throat> and we have to trust the Spirit will help us to do that. And you have to Remember, and I've shared this with you in other things, you have to open your hands and let go and release it. Or another word that is used is spiritually surrender. Stop trying so hard. Just stop and let go. And if you just incline yourself to hear what he's trying to talk to you about and listen with your heart, and remember that perspective thing. And I like this. Uh, David shares, I've shared this with you before, is that you enter his gates, with, his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and his temple with worship. So as soon as you approach the gates, you start thanking him for anything and everything that's been going on. I shared with you before that James, I liked um, Brother James' writing. It, it's, it's just a powerful word that he has. It's um, intense. In James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So turn over and say, Father, thank you that you want to spend time with me and that you're always ready to me with me. Thank you, Abba Yahweh. Remember what I shared with you is that he will incline himself to you. If you seek to share time with him, he will incline himself to you. I've shared that with you. I've shared that with you.
And something we have to remember too, that things become a distraction around us and that the devil is really, really likes that to be happening. And you have to learn to practice and resist interference or distraction because that's what the devil loves to do. That white noise interference or distraction gets you away from focusing on God and gets you to move in a different direction. He loves doing that. Remember uh, when Jesus was invited, when he went to Bethany, that uh, he was invited to a meal at the house of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, Martha being the older sister, Mary being the younger sister, but Mary had this great, powerful desire for hearing and listening to Jesus. She loved her brother, but she loved the words that Jesus spoke. And she wanted to hear that. And when Jesus came into the house, that Mary came and anointed his feet and his head and wiped his feet with her hair. And she sat at his feet, just, I can almost see that she was sitting there. She might've had her chin on her hands, resting on his knee and just looking and listening. Maybe not, maybe just sitting on the floor, kind of lotus or however it was comfortable, but just sitting there to listen. And Martha, being, the, being Martha, she was always anxious to get things done and accommodate folks and people. And she was distracted by everything else that needed to be being done in the house. And she came and had the audacity to tell Jesus that he needed to tell her sister Mary to get up and help her. He gave her a gentle rebuke and he said, Martha, 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 you worry about all this stuff. She desires to have something better for her heart and I'm not going to take it away from her. And he didn't. Here's the thing that we have to remember too, is that through the Old Testament, there's only one place. Uh, I marked this and I can't remember. Uh, oh, dug on it. I thought I had it marked down. I apologize. But anyway, if you go through the Old Testament, you will go through and you will find in the Bible that... Satan is called the accuser all through the Old Testament. There's only one place, I believe it's in Chronicles, where he is called anything else. And I share that because the accuser tries to get you distracted. And he loves that. And he loves for you to do that. And the way he does that is to accuse you in his lies. And if you believe that. So here's something that I highlighted is very important. Is that we largely have lost touch with our power of confess, confession in Christianity. Confession is a path to reconciliation and renewed fellowship with our Lord. It's not something that makes you less important. It's not something that he's not gonna pay attention to anymore. It's not makes you much weaker than what you were already. 
but bringing the failures to our Lord instead of shrinking back, pulling back into the corner and saying, oh, I can't go to him because look what I did now. Look what I've done. Look what, look, if I say this, he's going to be upset with me. No, he's not. He's going to welcome you in open arms, pull you in tightly and hug you and kiss you and tell you thanks for coming back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And remember too, I've, I've shared with you and, and this is my brother shares about the time when he is weeping and all these things when he cries out to God in his quiet time and that he um, speaks in tongues, he prays in tongues, which actually builds up and fortifies your spirit. And remember this, this is my, my side note that I'm telling you is that prayer in the language of heaven is a direct connection the spirit will give utterness, utterance, pardon me. If you're not sure what to say, ask. The Holy Spirit will do it. Brothers and sisters, it's important that you learn to do that. And speaking in tongues or praying in tongues is not a bad thing. There's people that don't understand it, and that's because they've never asked. And it confuses them if they can't understand it. And so they want everyone around them not to be that way. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit guides that language. And it is a direct connection to heaven. Satan does not have the ability to understand that anymore. Because that heavenly attribute was taken away from him when he was given the kick out of heaven. And the demons, they know scripture but that has nothing to do with a heavenly attribute. That's not a heavenly attribute to remember what was said and what was done. What is a heavenly attribute is to understand the heavenly language, to have that ability to manifest things by willing it to be. They can't do that. That is a heavenly attribute. They don't have any of that. They have to travel differently because that is a heavenly attribute. But simply understanding language. So when we pray openly, as I am doing now speaking with you, they can actually intercept that and understand what's being said and prayed about. And they can do what they can do to try to interfere. But when you pray and you speak in heaven's language, they cannot understand. They cannot interpret. It's a direct link to our Father, to his switchboard. And they can't interrupt the call. They can't cut the line. They can't intercept it. They can't understand it. And they get frustrated. But here's what I've shared with you, and I will share it again. If he attacks me the way he keeps doing, thank you, Father. It doesn't matter to me because that tells me that God is pleased with whatever I'm doing and it's not pleasing to Satan. And that's all right with me because it pleases my Lord and it displeases him. That's a good thing. So I don't care. 
Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers going out and coming in. Be blessed.